What an excellent day for an exorcism. You'd like that? Intensely. Maybe you can hum the theme song. Won't hold it against you if you get parts wrong. While the memory's not too strong, there's a piece of you from a time long gone. So while these fuzzy warm feelings remain, question we ask is still the same. Is it a treasure or just plain lame? Is this still good? Hello and welcome to a very spooky and belated episode of Is This Still Good? I'm Gavin Murray. Oh, I'm Sage. I'm also here. That one is Sage. Sage is also here. Yes, and yes. Sage, where where are we today? Uh, we're in various parts of San Francisco. Doing I don't understand what? the question. I was trying to get you to introduce our podcast. Oh, but you said where? I. Well, that we're doing true. a a very <laughs> timely episode uh, for Spooky Season. This will be out by Halloween, right? I'm sure it will. I have faith in our editors. Uh, welcome to Is This Still Good, a podcast about uh, our nostalgia and the drunk goggles that we look at it through. Gavin, try again. That's right. A podcast where we remove our nostalgia goggles and look back at our childhood treasures to discover whether they uh, the sheen rubs off cheaply and we find that they were made by child slave labor and probably shouldn't be talked about anymore <laughs> or um if we polish it off and find that it's you know actually 24 karat gold and today we have joining us my dad tom murray <laughs> welcome thank you gavin thank you sage welcome it's to well-organized dad cast dad casting from san francisco yeah so um Tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into what we're talking about today. Well, first of all, I'm your dad. That's true. <laughs> You're and, my dad? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not yours, Sage, but Gavin's. But, you know, um, adoption is a possibility if the need should arise. Um, we're sitting here in our kitchen, Gavin and I, not Sage. He's uh, he's on a remote uh, island somewhere, apparently. and uh, Not this time. We're in San Francisco. It's a kind of a foggy day. We're hoping for some rain, and we're going to talk about one of the most crucial films. Wait, wait, wait. So where where are you from? <laughs> oh, well, you know, I'm. That's part of the story. Okay. I really, I would rather save that for. Okay. All right. Um, I mean, Let I've lived in San Francisco. I've lived in San Francisco since 1976. Only three years after the premiere of The Exorcist, which we're talking about today, in case you haven't <laughs> Maybe I jumped the shark. No, no. Soon. But um, before that, I was uh, I grew up outside of Philadelphia in Delaware County, recently famous through the Mayor of Easttown um, miniseries, where they did their best to, um, to capture the flavor of our unique uh, Delaware County accent, which I... Might slip in here and there, but I don't think I really have it to the... If I'd stayed there, I'd have it um, more... Um, it would be more pronounced. So is that enough? Uh, I mean, it never ends. We've got like an hour to fill. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. Um, well, I mean, it's... I, you know. So... Is so that the project to... that Philadelphia is most famous for? <laughs> because that's what I that's what I got from that. No, the Philadelphia's most famous for the American Revolution. It's a Liberty Bell, right? That kind of thing. I was going to yeah. go with Rocky. <laughs> uh, 
Well, there is Rocky, who yeah. we, you know we love, but another um, movie with famous steps. You know, it's all coming together. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's um, the the colonial. It's part of the you know the thir- original thirteen colonies, and the colonial culture is still a very big part of it. Our before Rocky, it was all about Ben Franklin, um, and still still is. He's probably our our uh, most famous. Uh, not our son because he wasn't really born in Philadelphia, but he is that another boxer? Spain. No, he was um, he was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, an early um, founded a printing press, an early newspaper, the okay. first. Kite enthusiast. The right? first library. He was an amateur um, scientist. He experiment early experimentation with electricity, which probably led directly to Mary Shelley writing Frankenstein. Since we're talking about scary movies and scary subjects, and uh, a general, you know, an early philosopher, and he wanted the um, turkey uh, to be the um, national bird. But he was overruled in favor of the bald eagle. I I, I do love that argument that I, I've heard about a lot, actually, <laughs> where he thinks, yeah, the, the turkey is just a majestic creature. He, apparently, he can't be right about everything. <laughs> um, so, describe to me where you were when The Exorcist first came out, like who you were as a person, how old you were, and yeah, yeah. Well, so are you talking about the book or the movie? Either. Whoa. Okay. There's a book. So, yes, <laughs> it was based on a novel. So the novel came out a few years before the book, and it was, a, it was very popular. I believe I read the book. Um, but here's the interesting thing for me was that, um, so I grew up at, in Delaware County and Irish Catholic family, and... Um, went to parochial school and then Catholic high school. I went to Our Lady of Fatima, parochial school. I was a baby boomer. Then I went to Cardinal O'Hara High School. So one of the priests that uh, taught me at Cardinal O'Hara, his name was Francis Corkery. Father, we called him Cork. He taught Russian cultures. And he was this fascinating, fascinating guy. Really tall, very gaunt, very pale, the shock of red hair, kind of sickly. Looked like a character out of Dickens. He looked like a character from The Exorcist, actually. One of the priests. He could have played one of the priests. And he was a great storyteller. One of the stories he told in his Russian cultures class, which I took, and and as an aside, he actually knew... Felix Yusupov, whose wife, Princess Irene, was Lord Rasputin to his doom in um, St. Petersburg before the revolution. So he was in wow. he was in with the church hierarchy in around Fordham University in New York. And he'd kind of taken me and some friends of mine as, you know, his special, you know, f- friends, not in a bad way. <laughs> um and so he would tell the story of the exorcism that took place in 1949 in St. Louis, of which William Peter Blatty based the novel on. And he would take a couple days during his class to tell the story. But he was very sickly. He'd had, by, um, I think he'd had TB as a, when he was younger. And I, I actually looked him up recently, and he didn't live much longer after uh, you know, I knew him. But he, he was sick the year I had him. So 
in Philadelphia, um, our satellite cities are the, the Jersey Shore, um, these little shore towns. And the, the tradition back then was that you rent a place. As soon as you're a senior in high school and you graduate, you rent a place for the summer down the shore. And me and my buddies did in Ocean City, New Jersey. So um, Corkery, he was around. The, the church was at the, the Catholic Church at the time was very much a part of not only our lives, but the whole fabric of that area. It's a very ha- heavily Catholic area. So he was, one rainy night, he was at our dive, which was like plastered with Playboy penthouse, you know, not penthouse, but Playboy centerfolds all over the walls. And, mm-hmm. and this Catholic priest comes in and we're having a few beers and he tells us, the st- we asked him, to, well, you know, we missed the exorcism story so could you tell it to us and he did and he's a great storyteller and it was a dark and stormy night and the lights coming in and he's telling us about what the room was like and the the chill and the cold and the bed shaking and he's you know he's sort of letting little insinuations that he might have been there you know mm-hmm. he, he was he i don't think he was but it was his great but he might have been <laughs> he might have been but um, I had already met through him Cardinal Kroll, who was the highest ranking um, Catholic in uh, in the United States. And it, they were even talk about him possibly be, becoming the um, the first pope from, from the United States. So anyway, that was like my introduction. And I don't think I'd read the book before then. That was my first introduction to the whole exorcism story. Then I read the novel. And so... The movie comes out in, I believe, in the winter of 1972 to 70, I think 73. 73, yeah. So by then, I was in this um, small state college in the middle of the state called Lock Haven. And when it came out, Gavin and I actually looked at some uh, documentary footage of the time whenever The Exorcist premiered. It premiered in a handful, like 20-some theaters across the country and it was it was a sensation people lined up around the block to go see this movie and people were fainting and they were like freaking out over this movie and i wasn't going to go anywhere near it i was like (laughs) no way because you know i i mean i i'd been to catholic school for 12 years i had lapsed but I still had a, I was still very much a Catholic kid. I'd been to confession for the last time in the spring of, in May of 72, because I wanted to get, receive communion at my high school graduation because my parents would be there. And, and I felt like I still had to be in what was called the state of grace. You had to, you had to confess your sins so you could receive communion, which figures a lot in the exorcist also. So I didn't go see it when it first came out. So my sophomore year, I got myself a gig. Uh, I started writing for the school newspaper, the Eagle Eye, the Lock Haven State College Eagle Eye. And we published four issues a, a, a week, which was the most of any college newspaper in the country. So I went down to the Roxy, I think it was called the Roxy um, Theater in Lock Haven. And I asked the... I asked the guy that owned it, I said, hey, I'll write movie reviews for the college newspaper if I can get in free. So we agreed. So I started going to all the movies once a week and writing a movie review. The Exorcist comes. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I've got to go see this movie now. Now, is this 70? This is 74. So I was a sophomore. So it had been out. So this is a really small town. 
and they don't no first run movies are going to be in Lock Haven. So the you know the the hysteria has died down. It's been over a year probably since the premiere. So it's second run and there's no line. I just walk in to see it and I don't I think I went by myself that night and I was like, "All right, I was really prepared to not like it or be you know, have a bad time." And so I went in and watched it and I loved it. And I just stayed and watched it twice the, the same night. And I just, I was shocked at how good I thought it was and how powerful a movie it was. How, so that's my first experience. <laughs> how long do you have to wait in the movie for, for it to just start over again? Is it like literally? Because that's the thing I, I've mentioned to you before about like the idea of just walking into a movie theater and sitting down and you kind of just pay to get in and then you leave at whenever you feel like it. Right. Yeah. So does it just play? Is there like 10 minutes between screenings? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, there'd be previews too. Okay. And sometimes there'd be a double feature. Right. So, but this one was, it was just The Exorcist. And I don't remember there being hardly any, I, I don't remember a lot of people being in the theater. Do you know what time of day it was? It was at night. Okay. It was at night. And I would usually, usually I think he would start the new movies on a Wednesday. So I probably was a Wednesday night, you know. Um, so I was there probably, you know, it's a two hour and change movie. So I was probably there about four, five hours total. And you said they're just pretty empty for a Wednesday night? I don't remember. It's been a long time. Sure, sure, but, sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't remember a lot of people. And nobody there. fainted then at your screening? Ever. No. No, no. Uh, the thing that I saw when I was looking at um, and watching the documentary is they documented a miscarriage. Oh, what? really? That. <laughs> and that was part of the news cycle is like on top of people fainting and people oh vomiting. God. There was a miscarriage in the in the theater. Oh, <laughs> and wow. it's just like, oh, God, like of justice or <laughs> I don't know how true it was, but yeah, horrifying. Yeah. I mean, on my first viewing. I was the, what surprised me was how it, it you know it's it's very gripping yeah but how um I wasn't particularly grossed out I wasn't particularly terrified it was there there just it was very thoughtful for me it was very mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the issues that it raised were really issues that I was in a way grappling with because to me, it was the whole movie's about this loss of faith of Father Karras, the the um, the, the 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 priest that initially makes contact with um, the uh, Reagan's mother, right? And he's grappling with his loss of faith, and he's um, which at the time I was doing pretty much the same thing, and it and it. And it's really, for, frankly, it's never been something that's been resolved with myself. So that that whole issue that it brought up was very surprising to me because I thought it was going to be more like, oh, I'm going to be afraid because it's the devil. And it wasn't that for me at all. It was this issue of faith. What was your uh, what was your association with horror leading up to this movie? Like, because I know by this time, Rosemary's Baby had come out, The Omen had come out, right? I don't remember. I want to say the omens after. I I think so. Okay. Um, I don't know that I'd seen Rosemary's Baby. Um, so for me, horror was the Universal, you know, the, Frankenstein, the Frankenstein, Dracula, Dracula Wolfman, Wolf and then um, 
so there was Chiller Theater was on mm-hmm. on Saturday nights, and so I would stay up late and watch. I, I remember- assume they only played them. Is like that's the only really oh, really that. one of those movies that I definitely no, there was with like that. Gorgo and yeah. Godzilla those but those aren't you know Dracula mm-hmm. which is actually kind of boring and Frankenstein no they're not really very scary um, the the scariest movie I'd ever seen up until this time and I never even got through it so like I said I would stay up late my parents would go to bed and I'd stay up to watch Chiller Theater and they did a they did the. Uh, they showed the Telltale Heart, mm-hmm. which is a remake uh, from the um, Edgar Allan Poe short story, and they had that corny intro where, if you are weak of heart and you, when you hear this sound, bum 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 bum, is the sound of the heart. Right. Is this the Vincent Price one we're talking about? I think so. It probably okay. was, and I couldn't get through that. It just once I heard that, I said, "I'm going to bed." I want is because is that is that Castle? Was it Castle or was it uh, Corman? Uh, I don't remember because I didn't get through it. <laughs> but I like the... Uh, but Oh, then there was like the Children of the Damned. It was mm-hmm. really scary. Um, yeah, there was... I mean, there... I'd, and I loved them. I, lo- I loved all that. You know, I was a teenage werewolf and, you know, the Teenagers from Outer Space. They, they were, and also during Halloween... I've actually seen Teenagers from Outer Space. The, oh, I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> there was... There was a, the afternoon theater. So when you'd come home from school... There would be um, an afternoon movie. And during Halloween, just like now, they would show all these monster movies. There was also Dark Shadows. So that was a popular whenever I was in grade school. That was the kind of a vampire soap opera. Okay. And then there was the Munsters and the Addams Family and all that. Um, but, uh, but it does sound like The Exorcist was the first kind of big possession movie then was amityville horror before that that was after too right i think so i think the exorcist was probably you know it would for, for to me though it's so far beyond sure that genre um that uh and you know again that was what was so, so surprising that it was such a to me it had such a philosophical depth that frankenstein if you read the novel has too much of, <laughs> but the movie doesn't have any of it at all. So it's just... this is a nice Goldilocks. This is like the porridge is just right. Then yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> um, and so I, I grew up with this movie. On I bought it for real cheap at Tower Records on VHS. I think I eventually upgraded that to a DVD version of it. So I, I watched it a lot as a kid. It was it and Poltergeist were like the two. Um, I had like a rotating cast of movies I would fall asleep to a lot and The Exorcist was one of those that I would put on to fall asleep a lot because I I just really liked it it's it's gripping but like also calm for a lot of it and like the pacing is just really interesting it's very it takes its times with its characters and like the performances are all really gripping and incredible but like if you have it on in the background you know it it can kind of just be there too if you you needed to let it be interesting Um, and I definitely grew up I didn't. I don't know if I recognized the cultural impact it actually had at the time because, like, by the time you'd seen it, it was already the highest-grossing R-rated movie I think ever, or at least the highest-grossing R-rated horror movie. And so that that I didn't maybe recognize that it was the powerhouse that it was, but I definitely grew up with the amount of reverence that everyone kind of has for it because it has cemented its place uh-huh. in cinematic history and. There are so many 
things that just crib heavily from it. You know, you'd see it in The Simpsons or Futurama. In Futurama, there's a character named Pazuzu, who's like a recurring character, who's Mm -hmm. a heartwarming demon character. And like in The Simpsons, you know, you'll constantly see people crawling backwards downstairs, which is now a staple of like J-horror in The Grudge and stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of iconography in this film that yeah. I'd, I'd seen in dozens of other projects. Right. And I definitely, I'm sure my first time seeing this stuff was probably in The Simpsons. Um, but, is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Our but generation like, is, is introduced to most of classic film through The Simpsons. The Simpsons or Weird Al is there, yeah, where I, that's my, all my music and film references are. To the point there's a, um, there's a Weird Al says hi, by the way, Gavin. Uh, there's a recurring bit on, um, I think it's Unspooled, maybe? It's another podcast that just goes through, like, the, the I think, yeah, it goes through the AFI 100 list. On every episode, they, they have a section called, Did the Simpsons Do It? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I grew up on it and enjoyed it and seen it. Probably one of the movies I've seen most. Poltergeist, I think, was even heavier in the rotation for me. But mm-hmm. I've seen The Exorcist a lot. Wow, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Sage, you, you also um, grew up with this movie just injected right into your veins, correct? Uh, yeah, no. So I watched this movie at 11 a.m. on November 6th, and now I'm talking about it three hours later. <laughs> <laughs> this is all such a blind spot for me. Like, this section of horror... My, my parents didn't watch many horror movies, so that never got like put on to me. It's not like they wouldn't let me watch horror movies, although I mm-hmm. imagine everything was, was pushed back a couple years more than you in terms of like when you can watch PG thirteen, when you can be scared, when you can have like adult content in, in your movies for a child or teenager. But I this might be like the only quote unquote horror movie I've seen between like nineteen sixty and nineteen eighty. I'm sure there's a few exceptions. All right, Carrie, I've seen Carrie. Uh but this was just not a period I was I was interested in. I don't I don't think I really started watching any horror movies till the mid eighties. And of course mm-hmm. I'm talking about when the movies came out, not when in my life. Yeah, yeah. But in I also grew up on a lot of like, horror yet, I understand. But they did, uh, that's correct. And uh, I don't think my mom was yet either. (laughs) Universal Monsters. And uh, specifically, um, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Uh, (laughs) The nation's top comics, Abbott and Costello. Petrified, but hilariously. In the spookiest laugh fest on record. I've watched maybe every Abbott and Costello meets X movie. Um, that's what wow. my dad just showed. That's what was on loop on my TV growing up. Oh, wow. That's interesting. But I'd never seen The Exorcist, never been hugely interested in these types of movies. And you know what? If anyone had ever pitched The Exorcist to me as a William Friedkin movie uh, starring Ellen Burstein and Max von Sydow, that would have made me watch it a lot sooner because I didn't know <laughs> any of those things. Okay, interesting, because I know those people from this movie. Really? Like, it, I just was looking up uh, some other stuff and realized Max von Sydow was in uh, Winter Light, which I really enjoy. I, I don't, I know the name more than I, I mean, and you know I have, like, face blindness when it comes right. to actors. I have no and, idea. Well, he's also is. someone who just appears every 20 years, and also, I think he's only 44 in this, and he looks like he's 70. Yeah. He's wearing more makeup. He's wearing more makeup than Linda Blair. (laughs) Yeah, but it made sense because I know him as an actor in his seventies mostly. I mean, obviously, he's most famous for like Sound of Music. He's Captain Von Trapp. 
Oh, okay. It's been around for, or was that Christopher Plummer? I may be wrong on this. Mm, I think you're wrong on this. I think I'm wrong on this. (laughs) But there's like older things, and then I know him from like Minority Reports. I had no idea he was in Minority Report. Is that directed by William Friedkin too? And I didn't know. I'm joking. Okay, another Uh, scene. (laughs) Well, I know him from uh, The Virgin Spring, Ingmar Bergman's, uh, which is a masterpiece, incredible movie. But I'm amazed. Seven Seal is what I was thinking of. Sorry. Yeah. So oh, apparently right. he's just Bergman. Yeah. He's just Bergman's yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Even more. He's even probably even more famous for that. I'm I'm shocked that he was only 44 when he made that. Because see the way he moves, he it's really he's you know if that's that's great acting. That first scene acting. of him in Iraq, like he looks like he is struggling to take steps. Yeah. It's, yeah. He, yeah. Although apparently the it was 130 degrees uh, when they were shooting that stuff, so I might have been too. Yeah, <laughs> everyone else was kind of running around, you know. They were doing okay. Yeah, they're acclimated though. Well, real quick, let's uh, let, let's let's do a quick summary of this film. Sage, as the newest comer to this to this uh, property, do you want to try? Sure. Uh, well, I can uh, I can summarize the 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 Amazon summary of of the movie, which was just a girl gets possessed by an evil spirit. That's all oh, it said. That is the whole movie. Right, cool, the movie. On. <laughs> um, it's it's a two hour movie where not a lot happens plot wise. Uh, I'm gonna be bad at this, Gavin. You should do it. No, no, come on. I'm leaving back to you. Let's, 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 let's just go. Go for it. All right. It's it's the fucking Exorcist, Gavin. <laughs> uh. A woman gets gets slowly possessed by a spirit, and her actress mother goes through uh, the the necessary medical diagnostics to realize it's something else. And an exorcist who is grappling with his faith um, realizes it's a possession, and uh, there's an exorcism. Fair enough. This is I why suppose. Amazon summarized it in six words. <laughs> There's a lot more nuance and like a lot of texture to it, but that's the plot. It it, it is that's the thing. Like watching this movie, uh, I do recognize the amount of texture in it from the get go. There's a lot of scenes that like it is all just checking in with different characters as mm-hmm. they go through this, you know, horrifying experience together. Um, real quick, Sage, my fridge just kicked on. How bad is whatever? That? <laughs> okay, cool. Just checking. Are you sure it's not? Possessed. <laughs> uh, I hope not. <laughs> That's this is how shaking. it starts. <laughs> shaking. Oh man, that like yeah. There's some great just. To, I mean. Yeah, so that, that that's the exorcism. Uh, the a, a young priest or a young therapist priest, I guess, which is the thing I didn't really notice until this time. He's actually like a therapist. Therapist, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and an old what well, like world traveled priest. Uh, combine forces to excise this Mesopotamian uh, demon from this uh, young girl and the young priest. After the after the demon kills the old priest, the young priest takes the demon into himself and jumps down a flight of stairs. He jumps uh, out a window, down yes. a flight of stairs. Out a window, down a flight of stairs, uh, presumably saving the young child's life. It's uh, fucking. Although there are metal. there are three more movies, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> I haven't, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen, seen them. Yet. I haven't seen them. <laughs> I'm only concerned with this one. 
Yeah. Well, it's one of the ones uh, where like there are more movies, but like, do they do they matter? Right. It's almost it's not actually an Exorcist yeah. series. This the there's the Exorcist, and then there are presumed spinoffs. Yeah. Uh, like, people are stealing more... liberally from it, and yeah. There are additional Psycho movies, but you know what? I've never seen Jaws sold as a box set. (laughs) (laughs) Has The Exorcist been sold as box sets? It it has. I imagine. um, But I've never seen anyone buy it. (laughs) Yeah, that's... that's I mean, that wasn't wasn't a literal (laughs) point I was making. (laughs) Well, as you know, this is an extremely literal podcast. Yeah. But there's also so many movies with the word exorcist or exorcism in the title that, like, I wouldn't know which one of them's actually fit in this universe. And I don't think it matters. That is, I I agree with you. I do want to talk about, like, specifically uh, some of the different ways that the possession is uh, revealed. So you already mentioned the shaking. Like, it starts with what sounds like rats in the attic as... Um, the mom is like putting rat traps up in the, in the attic to try and catch these rats that aren't there. And then Reagan, the small girl reveals that she's been playing with a Ouija board. And when the mom tries to play Ouija with her, the Ouija board just insults her appearance. It it won't cooperate. It, no, it, it well, it specifically it says no. Yeah, it's like, do you want to play with my mom? And it goes, no. Or is my mom pretty? Or is my mom pretty? Yeah. So it's just no. Yeah. And it's like, wow, yeah. Captain Howdy, that's not nice. And then we get our, our first named demon is Captain Howdy. And then we've got that great, the bed shakes, and the mom is there to see it, witness and jump on the bed and not be able to control it with the own weight of her body. So we're shown that this world is real. The something is moving the bed, something is making sounds in the attic, mm-hmm. and eventually something is causing lacerations all over this little girl's body, uh, including the words help me appearing on her flesh. She's speaking in tongues, can speak Latin, French, German, I think, uh, and like backwards her, English. The tonal- yeah, the tonality of her voice is insane, and she is speaking backwards. Uh, answering questions backwards so people don't understand her and um, vomiting uh, green bile everywhere. A lot of vomit. Like a Tarantino amount. Yeah. <laughs> which it's which like Kill Bill, did... but with vomit. <laughs> yeah. Which I, there's like a few images that I like put in this movie that aren't quite there. Um, which version did you wind up watching, Sage? I watched the theatrical cut, just a okay. tight two hours so i don't know what happened in those extra 10 minutes so it's it's there's one thing that that you get is you don't get the like a a little bit of sensationalism but i checked to see what the differences were and the and there is something in the final the the very finality of the movie that is really a, a change because I do have some unanswered questions, and I'm interested if the if the director's cut, or would you call it the producer's cut, or the I I, I called it the author's cut is one okay. way I've seen it written because it is William Blatty's The Exorcist always has been, but okay. Friedkin uh, did some edits that Blat, Blat Blatty didn't didn't love before it came out in theaters, okay. and so the final the cut you've never seen. Uh, involves those being put back into the movie, including some CGI, some actual reshoots happening around. Um, I'm not sure when, but 
that was released in 2000. So oh, okay. nearly 30 years later. Oh, I remember seeing posters of that in movie theaters. Yeah, I actually went and yeah. saw it in theaters when it was re-released. Um, the big changes to me, and I, I really do want to go back to just one piece of sensationalism, like you said, is uh, Pazuzu's face is everywhere in the movie, mm-hmm. in the recut, which you you did not see, and I think kind of ruins the movie, almost. I see it. It's, it's like where there's one shot, like... yeah. He's a statue white... in Iraq, and then that statue appears in like a vision in the actual exorcism. So, and then yeah, there's so a that tiny uh, mini statue. There's a better right for that. Engraving. Uh, no, so th- there's that, but there's also in the new cut, especially I think it is in the original theatrical cut too. There's this woman in white face, like kind of like a skeleton-looking person that will just pop up randomly uh, three times. Three times in the original? Yeah. No. Well, there's three times that we saw it last night. Oh, no. It was more than three. Oh, I didn't see. I missed it. It's, it's meant constant. to be subliminal. And it, yeah. And it's, to me, it's upsetting because it, it really yeah. takes me out. I, didn't, I don't remember noticing that at all in the first. Yeah. It's we're barely about, in the theatrical. We're not talking about the, the priest's mom? or No, no. I'm talking about like a disjointed, uh, if you know, like scary face. Lou Reed, Lou Reed's face. cover of Rock and Roll Animal, yeah. which is a very not not a reference that's going to help. Um, someone dressed up like a like a skeleton on Day of the Dead, wearing like makeup, and it just flashes. It's very, almost like a subliminal. You, it wasn't in the version subliminal. that you saw much. Yeah, no, I don't. If at all, there at all. That's no, and, it, and it's and it's okay. all over the. Yeah, the maybe not even. I mean, I, I I don't remember it from the. It's a lot. Original, but again, it's a long time ago. Yeah. Are there any additional like laser shots or tauntauns or anything? <laughs> yeah, they uh, they really entirely redid uh, Jabba the Hutt. Is no long none of the puppet version of him is left in the movie. Okay. Uh, no, but there the and then the other big scene that is is referenced constantly, usually mixed in with the famous head turn that Reagan does at the end. Like she, as a demon, as when she's possessed, she gives her. She moves her head around a full hundred, three hundred and sixty degrees, um, and the like. In the Simpsons, I pictured Lisa, I think, crawling backwards down the stairs, spinning her head like a fire hose, or like a mm-hmm. like a like a fire hose, and just vomiting green bile in a circle. Um, and that's what I think of when I think of the Exorcist, like first, even though the version you saw didn't have the backwards crab walk, right? Uh no, it's kind of hinted at that that same moment uh, with the gargoyle statue appearing. She's doing some weird stretchy thing and does kind yeah. of like go backwards, but in a way that would be humanly possible is just creepy. It doesn't start like thing walking or whatever. So in the, in the in the the cut you've never seen, she kind of does some <laughs> thing walking. Uh, and it, it it I I it's famous because it was released as a DVD extra like from the get go when it first came out. So it became its own piece of pop culture that's mm-hmm. almost as important to horror as the actual text movie itself. Sure, yeah. Which is really interesting that like a deleted scene on a DVD is as influential as it like that's the most I've ever heard of that. Like it's not even yeah, part of the movie. Of and it's gone on to inspire like so much of horror. Anyway, and you know, just to throw it out there, if you were a listener right now and you had one version to watch, I would recommend the theatrical cut. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with you except for 
the my understanding, and again, I don't remember how it was resolved. At the, you know, the final scene apparently has been changed, and I thought mm. the one that scene that I saw last night in this newer version is very a very definite message is being sent there. Are you referring to the the charming? Uh, blossoming friendship of the detective and the priest. No, well, that, but before that, the, the well, I mean, that, that's that's an interesting, but I don't want to get ahead of it because I like to go through the whole movie. No, well, I mean, we're, we're kind of going to jump around and like just talk about whatever interests you most. The whole movie is really, really interesting. All right, fair. Um, so one of the things you weren't a fan of. The um, the opening sequence in Iraq. No, that's that's and something I that's... found that. Yeah, but I found that crucial and really fascinating, and also really fascinating seeing it now, as opposed to seeing it in 1974, which which was before that? the Iraq now means something completely different. Mm-hmm. Seeing yeah women in sha- in burqas is like something completely different than whenever I first saw that movie. And the fact that Father Marin is working on excavations of these ancient cities. So they're like the oldest civilizations we know about. And he's doing a dig to uncover um, this ancient civilization. And they even mentioned that he's, he, before he goes to Georgetown, they ask where he is, and they say he's in Nineveh. Nineveh, Nineveh business. Is, Nineveh is a um, a very ancient city that uh, was um, the it was part of the Assyrian Empire and mm-hmm. dominated that region, and was eventually conquered by the Persians and the Medeans and the. Um, uh, the Babylonians, but it was an early empire. It was an early ancient empire. And it's even discussed in the Bible, in the book of Jonah, as a place of evil. It's like a, it's like hmm. a Sodom and Gomorrah before, the, before Sodom and Gomorrah. So okay. there's, there's this clue that he's investigating ruin of the city that has a mixed... You know, it was both an empire, it had an enormous library, and the concept of of Satan, the devil, and evil goes back to that because he's and and it's true they did find artifacts and um, depictions in this ancient dig, which hadn't even been discovered until the mid nineteenth century. So that little. That aspect of it, that this man is engaged with the etern- the idea of evil being eternal, is mm. really crucial. And then in that scene, so he, there's a scene where he walks by and there are a couple women in burkas go by. And then he's almost run over by a horse. Right. And in the horse, there's a woman who's got her burqa pulled back and it's the demon. and it And it screams at him. And it's... It's just another Does split it? second thing, but it's, I mean, it's, yeah, maybe it's a prefiguring yeah. that I'm on my way to Georgetown and you're going to have to come and fight me because he's already successfully ec- he performed an exorcism. Right. So that whole 
scene is really fascinating and, and really interesting to the to the subject matter. And I, I remember that being played up in the book a lot more. Like I don't think so, Sage. In the version you watched, I don't think they name the demon at any point. Honestly, you guys saying it is the first I've heard it. It's entirely possible yeah. I missed it, but I kind of just assumed it was the devil. I so it is Pazuzu. Is the, Pazuzu? <laughs> Pazuzu, who is an Assyrian god. Okay. Uh, he's like king of the demons or whatever. Um, but I know most of that, I think, comes from... I did read the book, too. Um, I had like this really cool... I bought it used, and it never had a cover. And so it was one of those ones that was, you know, never made it to stores, uh-huh. mm-hmm. which means it was very cheap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, a lot of fun to read. And they definitely... Um, that is... Uh, they go more into their history together because it isn't his first time exercising Pazuzu. Yeah. Um, and so like, he's been a world traveler and it's like him and the demon are almost like not friends, but they're recurringly familiar with each other. Mm-hmm. They're doing battle across the world basically is the setup, which is what that, that, um, Yeah. It's what that entry point to the thing does. Was it supposed well, to, was it him in Africa as well? And in, in that backstory or I would, I maybe I, okay. so, and the, the reason like I, I get all that, I don't know what that really adds to the movie in a certain sense. Like it's a further exploration of father Merrill's character. Who is the exorcist. He is the exorcist. Uh, it's his movie in in certain respects, although no, he's almost third like... fiddle to, well, the yeah. priest is also. I, I would say the priest is the father. Karras is the main yeah, character. Yeah, father character yeah. is the titular exorcist, even if ah, that's not yeah. his that vocation. Also makes sense. Yeah, and that. But um, yeah, I think the movie could stand without it. I, I, it, it doesn't bother me. It just feels a little long in certain things. Uh, and it it does blow the movie up to be bigger. It makes it in, bigger. It increases yeah. scope. It, which is which is always kind of nice when you have these smaller stories to make them feel in a big world. I think that's the same reason they have like the lead is is an actress, and you see like a way more expensive scene than needs to be in this movie where right. they shoot a scene a at scene. a college, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's it's pretty impressive and does not need to be in this movie. It is so yeah. much bigger than everything else in this movie. There's no other scene in this movie that has more than like four extras. Right. For a movie that's mostly five people yeah. in a house, all of a sudden you need like 300 extras for one scene. Yeah. It was wild. Which is nuts. What's or the mean? same thing. It... He drives home and uh, there's like the fire truck and there's an, an ambulance and everything that she just kind mm-hmm. of ignores that does end up mattering later. Right. Because people for keep me, falling the, down her stairs. The movie, <laughs> the movie is dealing with a, a society in revolution. Mm-hmm. in um, turmoil and the, by having the um, the previous the, the ancient empire that has has fallen but had to gr- grapple with um, eternal evil which has not gone away and now is now in this new society I think it's just really crucial to the story to to because it's not just about the exorcism. It's about the nature of reality and the nature of society. And it's, it's tradition versus um, 
uh, innovation and it's religion versus it's 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 faith versus material the material versus the divine mm-hmm. um the spirit versus um you know you could say religion versus science but i don't i don't like i think i don't get that comparison as, as much as what's the essence and the, and the essence of change too so the change within society the change within this girl the change within society in the family mm-hmm. this is a divorced family in 1973 divorce was still relatively uncommon all this was all the, all this upheaval and um you know the 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 cuts to the the eucharist so the 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 transubstantiation is what it's called in the church where the bread and the bread and wine are changed into the body and blood of Christ it's an article of faith and trying to figure out what's going on with this girl at first all the the investigations are materialist they're psychiatric mm-hmm. um, although they push back really hard but <laughs> on in terms of that was something i don't remember as clearly but like they spend a lot of time before letting her talk to a psychiatrist or therapist. They're just like, "Oh, just let's do Ritalin well, first. They're going. They're they're they're, try, they're, yeah. they're trying to do it medically, right? Um, materially, you know, yeah. we're all just material. And then psychiatry. Well, psychiatry was still relatively new, and it was hmm. unscientific. It's all yeah, basically. They definitely refer on... to it in in different ways than I'm familiar with psychiatry. <laughs> well, it's been, I mean it it was at that time it was still based on Freud, and it was still and it, and another aspect of it which is hinted at a little bit. They don't go over the top top of it, but you've got psychiatry was was almost completely dominated by Jews, and then Catholicism, and Catholicism and Judaism are ancient enemies and at that time in 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 in, um, both the church and society there was there was an exchange going on between catholicism and judaism primarily with the jesuits who both um figured as actors consultants and 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 characters caris is um is a jesuit and he's highly educated in psychiatry, which the confession in Catholicism is a lot in a lot of ways like what would if you would go to visit an analyst at that time, right? It was much less drug oriented in those years. It was you go and talk to the psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and he tells you what your Oedipal complex is causing problems. It's all based on Freud's suppositions. Mm-hmm. It wasn't me- something measurable. It was all literary, um, but it was very expensive and it was very much the religion of the elite, which also really figures heavily into this movie. The class, con- the class depictions are really interesting. Even the, the interiors you see in her apartment and you see in the, the medical offices, all this modern art, very abstract and very minimal. When you go into the church offices, you see the the Christian, the Catholic icono, 
iconography, which is very Baroque, and you know, it's like all full of imagery. And, and then the juxtaposition of his mother's um, worn out old flat right. compared to the, um, uh, you know, the super rich actress who's an atheist, but uses as an expletive God, not an expletive, but a, an exclamation, God and Jesus. Yeah. She yeah. can't, you know, it's, so it's, um, it's, uh, it's really, there's a, there's a lot of, lot going on there besides green vomit. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's important. And like the best movies have a lot more going on and also have green vomit. I think the, yeah. the best movies. <laughs> it's have it's, green it's, vomit. it's important. It's important to have both. The best movies have green. Yeah. Well, you got to have drama. Yeah. I mean, like Shakespeare. You know, you got to have uh, you got to have some swordplay in there. You know. Yeah, and speaking speaking of the gravity of the film, like I did want to talk a little about the performances because specifically to me, Linda Blair playing there are actors Reagan, in this movie. <laughs> they're they're and they're so good, <laughs> like. And I, I was surprised in like looking up like none of these were first choices, in, including really? William Friedkin. The stu- the studio so Blatty, who wrote the novel, is a producer on the movie. And he made it with uh, I think it was Fox. And uh Fox wanted Kubrick, they wanted Arthur Penn, they wanted Mike Nichols, mm. and I guess uh Blatty had just met Friedkin and liked him and was like, nah, Friedkin's our guy. We're going to go with him. And they were hoping to get, who was it? Uh, Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn was going to be the mother, except for she wanted sense. everyone to fly to Rome. That also so they makes decided sense. not to. Um, they also so said hired... they have an off-screen husband in Rome the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's clearly out of spite. Um, Marlon Brando was originally someone they were trying to get for, I think, the Marks, uh, the, the side out role. Okay. Which would have been interesting. And then they decided to kind of go with uh, non-named actors. Uh, Reagan. The, the, and the woman... Basically, to me, like Linda Blair is steals the show. She's so insanely good. And it's the trio of... I mean, everyone in this movie is so good. But like Max von Sydow and Miller, who plays Karis. Like the three of them in a room together is just the movie at its pinnacles. Every time. They're, it's so good. I can't, I can't imagine it with anyone other than Ellen Burstyn, to be honest. I mean, she's one of my favorite actresses, and I think she's killing the I-don't-know-what's-going-on mom role. <laughs> she's doing a great job. So an- another, th- you know, yeah, everybody was great. Another little thing I didn't notice that I noticed this time, and it's, so again, from my perspective, this is 73, right? So... My experience uh, going to Catholic school, being around all these priests, was pretty good, you know, no problems. Mm-hmm. I, and the whole, all the scandals didn't come till a little bit later. And interestingly enough, going back and looking at, look, I was looking up Father Corkery, the guy I was talking about earlier. Right. And to fi- I just wanted to find out whatever happened to him. And, um, you know, I found out that he'd passed. But what I got was a list of all the priests in Delaware County that had been accused and defrocked of, you know, misbehavior. Mm. Um, 
the, and I didn't notice it this time, but the Father Dyer, he's the, the priest, the, the friend. The friend. Who, yeah. He's gay. And I didn't pick up on that when I first saw it because at that point, I had this vague notion that they existed. And there were, you know, like, but even in my college, until like, actually, that's not true. Like, David Bowie kind of let loose all the guys that wanted to be gay, to be gay. But before before that, there were effeminate guys you would meet, but it wasn't an open thing, and there wasn't any, I you know, there wasn't any concept of how much of a part of the Catholic priesthood mm-hmm. were hom- was a homosexual quotient. Now it's mm. very clear, but it wasn't then, and I didn't pick up on that priest character being gay when i and watch rewatching it last night it was like so obvious even though it's very much downplayed no he's, and he's just he's also just very charming and and he's like, he's very and seems it, like a great friend yeah honestly <laughs> yeah yeah but it was and a good priest but i th- i think he was in love with caris mm-hmm. too hmm. which i you know i didn't pick up on but i think to me it was very clear last night but in the I final scene the final scene of the movie, um, Reagan gives him a you know gives him a kiss and hugs him. She sees his collar, right? Even though she's not supposed to remember any of what, any anything that had yeah. happened. But there's there's you know it's a very moving scene to me, mm-hmm. and the, you know. But I, that was kind of that was an intro. And again, that's like that whole the way they were depicting this culture in in turmoil and in change um, is, is a much bigger part of that movie than I, than I thought. He also like, as the, the very like kind of thematic closing of the movie is him giving last rites to uh, father Karras after he falls down the stairs, which Mm -hmm. is pretty effective like that. It's pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, Especially like, the geography of flinging yourself out a window and down a staircase was always a little tough for me. Mm-hmm. And I know, I think in the pages of the book, it makes a little bit more sense than like they kind of did have to do some creative editing to make the geography almost make sense, even though it still is quite a feat. Um, but that really puts the, brings the gravity back that you might lose in the if you fall out a little bit when the staircase fall looks a little silly um i also this this was the first time after watching it where i because a a favorite movie of mine is evil dead 2 Mm -hmm. which is another possession movie um in parts of it and it they crib very intentionally the deep voices the changing voices the uh, Reagan multiple times uses Karis's mother's voice against him, right? Uh, yeah. While also interchangeably also yelling, yelling out, "Your mother sucks, cocks in hell," which is it was the most also... iconic line from this movie, which is yeah, wild. I... Oh no! Also, like um, I, I think you all obviously have already heard it, but I think the opening to this is definitely "What a beautiful day for an exorcism." <laughs> <laughs> Well, this you know the, this movie came out a year after Deep Throat, and um, 
you, you know, it was like a that was like a, the floodgates were kind of open. There was a, a Catholic newspaper that would come to my house every Friday called the Catholic Standard and Times. It was published by the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And the Legions of Decency would have ratings for all the movies. I'm sorry, the Legions of Decency? The Legion, the Legion of Decency, yeah. It was a Catholic um, <laughs> organization that would, would, going back to 1936, that would rate movies. They sound and they would fun. Recommend, <laughs> and they would recommend um, to Catholics where you know what movies should be avoided they were primarily foreign movies that, that would get um get con- they would condemn them so what was the rating system was it just condemned or not condemned no it was um it's like I our rating system. i know con- condemned was the very worst and sure. very that wasn't that that was pretty unusual okay there was one called morally in part for all morally objectionable in part for all okay um uh, then it was like something that's similar to a G rating, you know, mm-hmm. fine for everybody. I think it was pretty much, I think there might've been three or four, but I, I mean, we would look, and I remember my folks took me to see Goldfinger and it was out in a the theater. And I think that was, and I asked a, I called up a friend and see if he wanted to come, but his parents wouldn't let him go see it because it was, I think it was morally objectable. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Which, so my point was that even that, the idea of having that in a movie, and I don't remember whether that, because it still startles you when you hear that. I don't know if that was in the theatrical release that I saw in Lock Haven. It was. Or, or I don't know. Do you think they edited it for the neighborhood? I, it wouldn't surprise me. Okay. It would, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. And why couldn't, you know, they could, because they could just say, well, just like you were saying, for television. Yeah. You know, I don't see why they couldn't do that. Um, I, it was so to, to um, I looked up Sage the the television edit of this movie when it first came out um, on TV. It was re-edited in the eighties, and oh. things they cut were uh, the masturbation with the crucifix. Uh, sure, that, that was shocking. That didn't quite. <laughs> that it seems didn't like quite it wouldn't it. be decent by a legion. Um, also, and then your mother sucks cocks in hell was changed to your mother rots in hell. Okay. Um, and then the strangest one to me is, uh, you know, there's the um, homophobic F word, which uh, she also sprouts at Father Karras, then potentially, um, which is like, that. yeah, she yells like, shove it up your ass, F word. Oh, okay. Um, I, I caught most of those ones. Oh, Reagan does. Reagan yeah, does. Right. Uh, and yeah. the TV edit of that is shove it or no. Basically, they they, they they censor ass. They don't censor the F word. That was fit for television in the 80s. Whoa. That's wild. Which is fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, I would uh, argue like it's a thing a demon can say in a movie. Sure. <laughs> but from but, like a decency not on standard. Yeah. That's kind that's, of that, that is that's wild. Yeah, wow. and that I mean, and again, like I mean, I, I know me growing up, that word was much more even yeah. in the '90s. Was you'd hear it all the time. It wasn't didn't carry the same. Uh, I mean, it carried weight, but it didn't carry yeah. the same. Um, it's not. That was less of a no no than some of the curse words that don't actually hurt people. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was just a fascinating thing to see. Uh, as a change that they would make. They also, uh, 
there is a defaced uh, Virgin Mary statue. Oh yeah, yeah, right. That that is also changed for the TV edit. That is just I think she just has stigmata or something a little bit lighter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That should have been yeah, the poster of this movie. It's just too. that statue. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was interesting. You know, again, we watched this documentary, and and they were interviewing priests who were taking it very seriously and applauding it in a way, saying it was a really. But they were Jesuits, and the Jesuits were always a little collaborationist. They were like social climbers mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. the church. You know, they were like. Uh, um, they're they're smart but they're like a little too you know they're not hardcore you know they were willing and they've been they their history is very checkered with being suppressed and um um, because they uh you know they didn't hold to the truth one thing that an interesting subtext when i was watching it um i'm thinking about the Father Marin, Karras, and then Dyer. Mm-hmm. Dyer's the the um, his friend, the piano playing guy, who's left alive. Yeah. And I was looking, and I was thinking, that's the Trinity. That's a de- so you know huh. the Holy Tr- Father, Ho- Son, Father, and- Son, and Holy Ghost. So okay, Marin, he's he's gone. Like he's in heaven by the time the exorcism is complete. Right. Charis is the Christ figure. He takes the demon into the himself, upon himself and, yeah. and sacrifices himself. Dyer is he's left behind. He he um offers, you know, he hears the confession of Charis who's dying. And then that scene at the end where so they're leaving in the limousine to to leave to where they're going back wherever they're from, LA, their family. Yeah. And um he just catches them before they're driving off, and Reagan sees him. And her Reagan's middle name is Teresa, right? Which is that Marin asks what the middle name is, and she says Teresa. And he says, "Oh, what a beautiful name!" Well, Saint Teresa is a very important martyr um, who had visions of the afterworld in in Catholic iconography. So it would be he makes sense for him to be really pleased that she's got a decent name, not just this Reagan crap. Um, I will say for Sage's uh, confusion on his face, that was a scene that was added for the okay. director's cut. Is the the middle name scene? No kidding. Yeah. How wow. many how many of these episodes have we done where we've all just watched different versions of the same movie <laughs> well, and don't know what's I, going but on? But anyway, <laughs> but I was getting back to the Holy Ghost aspect. So the Holy Ghost is in 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 uh, theology. So it, it, it's this the triangle, the the, the, the tripartite um, mystery of of God. And the Holy Spirit stays behind to give the apostles faith and to give us all faith. And Mm. then there's that scene at the end where she sees the collar, recognizes him. And that's my interpretation of it was that he's he functions as the Holy Spirit. He's still in the world providing, providing um, consolation and, and faith. And then, you know, she's able to go off. That's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that at all. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Friedkin's directing process because hit me this this movie is one of those movies that people do talk about as haunted. I believe um, Linda Blair or wait, am I thinking of I might be thinking of a different thing? Anyway, <laughs> uh, 
I, I do mix this movie up with Poltergeist some, which I know Poltergeist, the little girl died very young, tragically. No. Um, but this movie was difficult to make, went way over budget. Um, despite not casting name actors, there was fires that ruined some of the sets that they had to rebuild. And uh, Friedkin really looked up to, it sounds like, um, Alfred Hitchcock and like the old school of doing things and being kind of a dick to your actors, uh, which, you know, I, I at least do not support. You don't no. need to do that to get it. It's called acting. People. <laughs> but People he do that he, pretty frequently. <laughs> yeah, and it's fucked up. But to read about it, so like there's some very famous and very moving scenes of uh, watching Linda Blair like be thrown around the bed like violently and similarly like she they wanted to give her um you know obscene strength for her size as like Mm -hmm. a i think she's 12 yeah and um so when she backhands her mother her mother flies across the room and friedkin was the kind of director who didn't really fully prepare his actors for that sort of thing so she got injured (laughs) doing that linda blair when she was being thrown around the bed uh, similarly, like the director was just like, just give it to her like harder with, and so the, the stunt her bones guys, will like, grow back. She's 12. Injured, injured this 12 year old. Just all but, cartilage. Oh, it's fine. Knock her yeah. around. It's pretty it's hard. It's very physical. It is. Yeah. It's and, very convincing. And, uh, father, um, uh, Miller who played father Karras, uh, also like, you know, it's like, Hey, Fried, can I trust you? Like, just what, what do we need for this scene? And I guess Friedkin just backhanded him and then said action. So, <laughs> so some some of it is again. Why do we look so sad? Yeah, it, that it was it was like it's just it's it's I, again I don't support it. I don't think it the the Exorcist would have worked without those things. I'm not taking away from Friedkin's direction in general, but I, I'm not supporting that. It just is interesting <laughs> to look at like the pieces of this movie that like became difficult were things like that or. Um, depending on which version you see, the cover that I grew up with is the shot of Father Merrill arriving at the house, and it's still yeah. outside. That's the poster, and isn't it? Like, it is. That, it's that like the famous of, yeah. image, and it's like this light is pouring from Reagan's bedroom uh, onto the street, backlighting him as mm-hmm. he approaches the house. And they took two days to film that one shot worth it yeah like it's mind-blowing but like if you have the money to do it that is insanely powerful yeah because there's there's a lot of i mean like most of this movie takes place in a in a house and most of the shots are functional they're not bad cinematography by any means but like there's only a couple moments that like really stand out to me it's it's definitely a movie that like um it's very naturalistically shot in a lot of ways. Like everything feels motivated by practical. And then there's a lot of kind of random moonlight just to give mm-hmm. kind of exposure and taste and color. Um, but they're really counting on the makeup and the practicality of the effects that they're using to carry a lot of the weight of um, like the emotional weight of the film in terms yeah. of the visual representation of it. Like the bed shaking is the bed really shaking the vomit is like the vomit it's they're they're not hiding things they're showing as much as they can and doing as much as they can practically i thought that the use of the interiors the variety in the, the mm-hmm. interiors it is a big house really told the story i'm i'm talking about the um 
and the, the changes in, in the houses. The contrast yeah. between, um, well, I mean, first you're in Iraq, that of course, right. but then you're in Georgetown, and which has a lot of, uh, you know, almost medieval-looking um, old buildings on the campus. Yeah, but then you you go to the luxurious house that she's renting. Um, and, you know, she has that dinner party and right. it's, you know, she's the elite. It's the elite. She's very, very wealthy. Um, it's right. a rental our house. The problem is the, yeah, our, it's the, a rental house. And our introduction house to, while she's working. Okay. Yeah. I didn't catch yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Our introduction to, to, to Reagan is her saying like, oh, I had such a lovely day. This man let me ride his horse. When can we get a horse, Mama? Yeah. It was yeah. so lovely. Yeah, <laughs> Mama, and I want the, a horse. And then the contrast with so, and then, and then, you know, you see the art on her walls, and there's they're primarily the the you know the the abstract contemporary art, and then you get to the doctor's offices, and they're again, it's all very sleek. And then you get to they're like torture scenes whenever they're giving her the spinal tap to uh, to take the um, uh, the electroencephalograms. And then you get to the church office where they're in, the priests are discussing who to get to do the um, the exorcism, and they're talking about Marin and. Uh, it's all this old wood. It's old, very traditional. And all the art is that Catholic art that's, mm-hmm. you know. And then his mother is holding out in this, you know, run-down flat in this horrible part of uh, New York. And, uh, you know, it, it was obvious, but it was really a big part of the, of the visual makeup of the story. And I thought it, I thought it was really really well done. Yeah, it's very much a rich world that they're describing. For as like isolated as the story is outside of the scenes in Iraq, it very much is like different level, like not levels, but like you you definitely the characters carry a bunch of very different aspects of life within Georgetown. Oh yeah, for sure. yeah, and even the co- the college where he's, um, <clears throat> I guess that's Georgetown, um, where he and Dyer are uh like they they look like they're living in a dorm. Yeah. And uh you know it's very, you know, student, you know, poverty sort of uh Yeah, people play, people a, playing decks uh playing cards on the floor. Like yeah. they're not even sitting at a table. Right. And he's incredibly well educated and he's kind of his um his uncle kind of holds him to task for choosing the ascetic priestly life instead of being a rich psychiatrist um and uh so that examination of the different levels of society interacting around this event was really fascinating to me i will say his uncle may be the weakest uh performance that was yeah that <laughs> yeah. was too cartoonish that was really yeah now i'm a brother I, I and felt... he's her son <laughs> yeah dear yeah. god well we're, we're kind of past the hour mark is there any last things we want to get into before I had a judgment round on this. I had kind of a comment on like all of these movies that I that I haven't yeah. seen. Um, like <laughs> what pulls? Yeah, right. What what pulls me out of a lot of the older horror films mm-hmm. is the sound design, um, which this movie does a lot of great sound 
design, but it's still limited by its technology. There's obviously a lot of ADR in this movie, because there has to be. But there's also a lot of ADR in scenes that do not have a backwards-talking demon <laughs> coming out of a little girl's mouth. I have something I'm excited to tell you about the sound of this movie, Sage. All right. Well, in- This movie was nominated for several Oscars and won a couple of them. I think that's completely fair. I'm 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 assuming you're going to tell me like it got nom- it won for sound for it, w- like sound it won editing. best sound. Yeah. Um yeah, so I mean this is it's a contemporary thing and and like it doesn't bother me in and specifically what I'm talking about is like microphones distorting because mm-hmm. of both the microphones and the recording technology. Um but if I'm to be remotely scared by a horror movie I need everything to feel like I'm there. In the instant a microphone distorts, I'm aware of the behind the scenes. Um, it it's like when things are just suddenly out of fo- it's it's the equivalent of things being out of focus that should be in focus. You're very aware of like a technical error. Yeah, and this is not this is not anyone's fault. Uh, this is other also than not, the movie, not a normal. No, uh... I'm I'm explaining <laughs> my reaction. Yes, you're to hypersensitive, but um, you're not wrong. Yeah, I agree. What's ADR? Oh, uh, ADR is additional dialogue recording. So that's when you have usually an actor come in later to fix mistakes made on set. For oh, instance, okay. uh, they can't oh. get the neighbor to turn off the lawnmower. So, so everything right. that – and they have to do it to match their own lips. So it's, it's very like – for instance, right, right yes. now the garage is, is, is uh, opening right downstairs from me. So if I wanted to use the scene of me talking in a movie, I would come back and say everything exactly how I said it. Or we'd record again. Okay. Um, And this is a lot of of my actual job. So obviously when the little girl is talking in the voice of an old Italian woman or a demon or the – I think there's like two other voices that come out of her mouth uh, through the movie, that's someone else doing it and matching her lip sync. Yeah. Yeah. but that also and will just happen on a couple exterior scenes that are too close up for, for an actor to realistically match their own lips to, to the exact amount that they need. So are you saying they did a good job or a bad job? I'm, I'm saying it's a bad movie because of the sound, Gavin. <laughs> no. Um, I'm saying, like, because of those limitations, I don't know. I Honestly, I got off on a tangent about ADR. But well, you, Ellen you're Burst, describing... there's a scene where Ellen Burstyn like yowls and she's freaking out and the microphone mm-hmm. distorts and like things clip and like I'm aware that this is an actor giving a performance because not everything is to the point where I can be put into the scene and just live with it. There's a lot of things that are pulling me out of the movie from a sound perspective. And this doesn't matter as much in like some dramas. This doesn't matter in a lot of forms. It really matters in in horror. Um, not that I would say this is the scariest movie I've seen regardless because I don't think that's actually really where the director's interest lies in this movie. I don't I don't do you think this movie is trying to scare you Gavin? I I think it is. And when you look at like it is very hard for you and I especially to to look at it in the history of where it mm-hmm. is because it's influenced so much of what we take for granted. Like it does have less jump scares, but like jump scares are coming from like this is yeah, I would it's say it just has so foundational 
the opposite of jump scares. Like she'll she'll right. walk in on her daughter doing demon shit, and like the room will get torn apart, and it'll just cut to like her waiting calmly on a bridge for the priest to show up. Yeah, <laughs> like in the right. middle of the action. That's the opposite of a jump scare. It's, right? it's really trying to ground. Yeah, which I, I love. Which that. is it's a different version of scary. It's yeah. not trying to. It's not trying to shock your system. It's yeah. trying to you know, expose you to the evil. <laughs> yeah. I would classify world, it which... as a supernatural mystery. Okay. No. I'll let you, I'll let it slide. I'm not trying to be pretentious <laughs> about horror. I'm just saying like, it still works for me, even though the, the limitations of sound keep me from ever actually getting scared in the movie. But I also watched it at 11 AM while drinking coffee. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, which is, I'm sure the way that Friedkin and Blatty, uh, envisioned uh future generations would be watching the movie anyway <laughs> um it sounded like you were getting pretty close to judgments do we do we want to get into those right now sage do you want to talk about what sort of rating system we might use to on this podcast to well, break Gavin, down a movie i'm glad you asked this podcast which is called is this still good has a three-prong rating system oh. um is it still good is it better as a memory or does it suck cocks in hell? Let's just go for I, it. I yeah. was going to assume that we do we shove a demon in it and push it down a flight of stairs. <laughs> do we? But, <laughs> or do we accept uh, the uh, do we accept the movie into us as a trick and then instantly jump out a window, tumble down a flight of stairs, and then squeeze a man's hand as we die? <laughs> well, um, for me, this one's really easy. I hadn't seen this movie in a long time. It's still great. I we did watch the. Um, the version you've never seen before. Uh, or so did like I. The recut. <laughs> I never seen uh, the it non before. the non theat- theatrical version of it, which, uh, as we mentioned, puts a bunch of Pazuzu faces all over the screen all the time, which really takes me out of it. That's a fun um, phrase. <laughs> so I mean, it was better as a memory in that sense because I watched an inferior version of the product. <laughs> But um, but the movie itself, like everything that is there, is still it's so good, it, and it, like beyond its place in history, it's just a very good, entertaining movie that is extremely effective. The performances are super, are just amazing, and um, you know, even in the version that we watch that has some kind of pacing issues based on the re-edits, mm-hmm. like it's just such a strong movie that it really shines through it. So yeah, still good. Me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, the I loved it when I first saw it. It surprised me how much I enjoyed it, and um, it's all it, and rewatching it. And I agree with you. You know, the more I think about it, the the flashing um, faces and the crab, the walk down the stairs yeah, the are walk. unnecessary. But I did like that <laughs> final scene, um, and. And it's very interesting to me in that how in different stages of my life, seeing it again after all these years, and I think I have seen it since then, how um, in both times it's it's sort of lined up with some concerns I have in my own life. And I think it's um, it's like this deep meditation on the nature of reality and, um, and uh, the fate of... Uh, of how people relate to each other, their families and their societies. And, um, 
it's uh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Sage. I mean, I said my only problem with the movie, so spoiler alert, I definitely think it's still good. But the, the real treat for me was just seeing how this type of movie was treated more methodically in, in the early 70s. Um, because I can't imagine this movie being made like this today. There's a few exceptions, but... Let's put it That's this way. I, yeah, one I of the last shots in the movie is just the family driving away, and Linda Blair, the child, is in the back seat, and uh, the priest watches her come around, and I was just expecting her head to turn around. <laughs> That's how that movie would end today. <laughs> in fact, I thought I had already seen that scene with it happening, and because I'm sure there's it's another probably movie in the that Simpsons. ends like that. Yeah, I'm sure they Like a red that. eye or something. Maybe that's the Simpsons version of it just ends like yeah. that. But it just, the car drove away, and that was the last we saw of Linda Blair, and I'm like, wow. Especially for, like, it's... It, I'm sure it wasn't made with sequels in mind, but like there are apparently several sequels to it, and now like those would be set up, like in some way, right? Or there would be a continuation. Pazuzu will return. In... <laughs> yeah, right. We're here to talk to you about the Pazuzu Initiative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was um... I was very very pleased, very whelmed. And so this is this is just to reiterate. This is like really the you've seen other seventies horror movies. Have you seen? Not really. I've seen Carrie. Not really. I mean, if you go through a list of them, I'm sure I've seen like ten percent of them. I haven't okay. seen Suspiria. I haven't seen. I mean, if Jaws counts, sure. But I want. <laughs> well, and this predates Jaws too. Mm-hmm. That was a funny. I haven't seen the old snippet I read because again, this movie made so much money, and it was released like you were saying, just on twenty screens at first, right? And it was sold out consistently until they just were like, all right, well, I mean, we can take a hint and just opened it like nationwide. Now, do you know if there's any sort of, was this just like an overly popular movie or is this how like um, uh, Passion of the Christ made a billion dollars or whatever by courting and like an evangelical? No, it it seemed like it, I mean, based on the footage that we were watching um, from news clippings of the time, like it just caught the public zeitgeist. It was just the right movie at the right time. It was popular across demographics. Um, everyone was just wanted to watch this movie because partially like it had that news media machine behind it saying like, hmm. there's miscarriages and vomit in the theaters. <laughs> like people are freaking out. And then like, you know, we were watching like a montage of interviews of people coming out and like the news reporter would come up to people who had walked out mid movie and they're like, are you okay? And they're like, I just, I can't my legs gave out and I was sitting down. I needed to crawl out the theater because I couldn't handle how scary this movie is. You know what it is, is it's the <laughs> uh, paranormal activity is probably the modern yeah. movie to compare it to. Not just cause like that was incredibly successful. Ignore the fact that it cost like $9 to make. It's still like right. pulled in two or $300 million. And the, um, the marketing for that, I don't remember a trailer for Paradol Activity. I remember just an audience reaction cam. Right. That was, <laughs> that the, was trailer. the trailer. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, when you mentioned... That was Pazuzu, right? <laughs> Paranormal Activity. <laughs> Paranormal Pazuzu. You, know, you, you mentioned Ze- catching the zeitgeist. And I think that's... If the zeitgeist was, um, you know, it was like, what, three or, three or four years after Woodstock... 
so it was all sex, drugs, and rock and roll with, you know, people my age that a lot of us grew up in religious families. So there was, there was a turmoil within us, within society. Everything was changing. And here's a movie that is both entertaining and a part of that revolution. So it's using obscenity, it's using mm -hmm. sexuality, um, and it's using all these problems, but it's examining it through the lens of traditional um, religion and tradition and displaying traditional religions conflict with the contemporary, the psychiatry and the medical, you know, takes on reality. And I think that's what everyone was going through, or at least a lot of us. And um, and it was it, there it was. Um, so it, you know, you think about the year before, you know, Deep Throat, all of a sudden everyone's, you know, seeing porno in mainstream, you know, movie theaters, which was three years ago, unheard of. And now, I mean, you could consider this, a lot of obscenity in this movie, both physical and verbal. But it's got a spin on it where it's put in with the the most traditional mainstream religion in the country, probably, particularly mm -hmm. on sexual matters. And they're in the same movie and they're battling it out and people are battling it out within their own lives. Well, and I, I, just to reiterate, we can't discount the green vomit. That was an important part. Well, no, they're using the tools yeah. of the of the but, new freedoms. But like you were suggesting too, one thing that was also part of this was that this was an R-rated film. This wasn't an X-rated film, right? And at the time, like this was probably it sounds like by quite a a bit the most extreme R-rated film that had come out. I mean, it's I one of the more know. extreme R-rated films I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still extreme. That yeah. the the scene you were talking about that was cut in the TV version, probably where she's just like stabbing herself with a crucifix and saying yeah. "fuck Jesus" or what? What I forget what the light is, but it's just like wow. Like that. You're like, yeah, no, it's it's yeah. brutal. And and Linda Blair is like they cast her very well because first of all, she can act. She sounds like a darling, like sweet little child. Mm -hmm. And she, I think she is 12. Like she's a, she's very young. She's like a small child who you just want to protect. Like she's right. not yeah. someone you want to go through the awfulness and, where, and it's not like nowadays that character. I mean, what I remember coming out in theaters, I don't think I ever saw, but the exorcism of Emily Rose, I remember I getting like an insane amount of advertising. And that is like, an adult woman who is meant to be attractive and sexy mm -hmm. comparatively is my memory of it. I never saw it. was not a good but... movie. <laughs> and, and that, and that scene is really important to the movie. Yeah, actually. I mean, it's not as seemingly gratuitous as it could be. It really isn't. It really is a big important that that takes place, that that um, sacrilege with the crucifix takes place. I also want to bring up, like, because you'd mentioned uh, how this movie made a shit ton of money. It broke a bunch of records, but it wasn't cheap. And like I said, they, um, I'm still just amazed at how long things can take. This uh, was supposed to take 105 days to shoot, which seems like a lot already. 
and it went over that 200 days. That is a days. lot. And I just, I'm trying to imagine, like, wait, I, I'm, I, this movie that takes place in like four locations, it has six characters, took like eight months to film. Yeah, and all that with a child actor. So I mean, you can imagine. Why, why do you think it took so long? Uh, I mean, it sounds like at it. a little bit of mismanagement, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> you, you you don't shoot for eight months without mismanagement, period. Yeah. I will yeah. Say, or, like, the only other time movies shoot for eight months is, like, if they have to take a four-month break because of a worldwide virus outbreak. Well, and so one of the things that, like, I mean, again, to mention, like, they had sets burned down. There was a fire. No. Where they, I'm sure they lost some time to that. And then there were injuries. They did go to Nineveh. Of... I'm sure that, like, adds, like, a week. But even that, yeah. like, <laughs> I, I want to find uh, out, like, how long they spent shooting in Iraq. Because, honestly, could have shot that in three days easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we should, we should move on to, uh, now that you've talked about how this movie couldn't be made today. Let's talk about how you we want to reboot this movie it? today. <laughs> We're reviving a canceled undercover police program from the 80s. Oh, it's not a remake, it's a reboot. You see, the guys in charge of this stuff lack creativity. What the fuck is a reboot? So all they do now is recycle shit from the past. We're working on less of a shriekle and, and more of a screamake. Expect us all not to notice. I like it. Another! <coughs> I do. Oh, well, I don't, but... Uh, no, no one does, but uh, <laughs> he- here's the thing. Gavin's dad, Thomas. Yes. <laughs> oh, you want me to? Well, no, yeah. I want to. I want to explain that uh, what we didn't tell you when you agreed to be on this podcast is that we actually have the rights for The Exorcist, and it's our fiduciary responsibility to uh, to make more products uh, because otherwise we're just leaving money on the table and our shareholders will fire us. So <laughs> we can do this in any form. We can make another movie. Oh. We can make a sequel. Uh, we yeah. can put it in some other media. If you want to pick, some, say, uh, the Exorcist video game. <laughs> but we have um, to do something. We have stop to. Stop yeah. motion with bobbleheads. Or we lose heads. the rights. Stop motion bobbleheads. Stop motion bobbleheads. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to seeing a uh, cleverly animated version of the Exorcist. <laughs> uh, fantastic Mr. Fox style. <laughs> yeah. And they're rotating heads. You know, you yeah. wouldn't have to worry about injuring any child actors. No, it would really, yeah, make it a little bit easier. Yeah, actually, like a rotoscoped version of this movie, like a like a Scanner Darkly or Waking or Light. Undone. Yeah. yeah, but like <laughs> these are all pictures that don't change that much. I okay here. Yeah, I would like to What's literally see someone rotoscope this actual movie <laughs> and just put that out there. I mean, it, it does lend itself to, like, it, and, and I've been to a few screenings of um, mostly Nosferatu, or, like, you take those silent movies, and they just do, like, a live rescore, and it is something special. Mm, yes. And this is the kind of movie that, like, yes, it, a lot of it is the, the heft of, like, the dialogue and the performances are so incredible, but there is enough there visually to stand on its own, and it's just kind of, like, the bones of it are baked into culture, whether or not you've seen the movie, I feel like. Actually, Sage, I'm curious, how, how did you feel... Did you feel like you'd seen this movie already? Or was there a lot that surprised you? I, one of the reasons I, I had put off seeing this movie so long is I just to feel like there wouldn't be much surprises. It was nice to see how it was actually edited out. And uh-huh. uh, like I said, I didn't realize it would be such like a like a humanistic story. I didn't realize you're just going to follow around the, the priest as his mom <laughs> dies before any of the movie happens. In fact, like yeah. no, nothing resembling an exorcism happens until the second half of the movie. 
like the the it does not get prosthetic-y for like the first hour which that that is the reason that the spider scene was cut out because that happened in the first like 45 minutes oh wait before so that's not even an escalation that's like exactly yeah, that's, that's why they cut it out yeah. it's weird yeah and no, it's a good it's a good call that they cut i like but... that the first real like possession moment is just where he she comes downstairs and tells an astronaut he's going to die <laughs> yeah yeah you're gonna there. die up there here's some pee going to my room yeah. yeah that is is very shocking that was great um there's not even suspenseful like music through a lot of the things to like creep you out like until the actual tubular bells the you know that yeah the theme that was a hit that and was that i radio. knew i heard uh, <laughs> really it was wow. it was it was on the radio interesting i've yeah, heard some good like a... uh edm versions of that while i was yeah, just yeah tripping in college <laughs> that that on halloween definitely lend itself yes. to like techno yeah. techno remixes for sure i've heard man i'm struggling i'm struggling to think of how i'd want to redo this yeah, well, movie i mean is there anything to continue the story here like max and sit de- dead right. i mean the act well Karis the actor dead. too but uh the the character Karis is dead although apparently jason miller is in the exorcist 3 i don't know anything more about that other than what i saw on imdb um you could just have Linda Blair getting like possessed at various periods of her life and make a movie every ten years, <laughs> clerk style. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, mean, I don't. I, I, don't... Mean, I wonder the her the mother character, mm-hmm. um, how she deals with with having witnessed gone through that. You know how how you know. Although I don't know you how could... you dramatize that. Well, I mean, you could do the the Doctor Sleep version of the exorcist which is just about if you haven't seen doctor sleep it's about uh young danny torrance grown up and he's just a barely functioning alcoholic because of the shit he went through as a child and then there are psychic vampires because it's still like a nonsense stephen king story it's a very good movie um but i've just most the part that i connect to the most is just like taking a kid who went through some insane trauma you know got chased by his father through a snow base <laughs> with an axe it just has to live with that for the rest of his life and like yeah, yeah. of course he's an alcoholic of course I mean, he's a broken husk of a human yeah. Yeah. yeah and i guess one way that you could continue the story pretty interestingly maybe again not having seen the sequels although i do have the second one on vhs somewhere and i've been meaning to see it um is if you bring uh reagan reagan as she grows up wants to uncover that piece of her childhood that's missing. Oh yeah. And she returns to uh material means to get it. So she starts talking to therapists and is willing to be part of a study where they try and like again make what was a thing that they turned over to the church and put in faith to deal with try and find retroactively ways to make it make sense through modern medicine. And then they uncover that you can't and it, everything breaks loose again. <laughs> and um, that, that, that I would be, that would be again, not necessary, but could be fun. What about that, a, that's how I could see doing a sequel to it. What about a support group for, for people who have been possessed? I was, that was the other thing I was thinking about. That's like, this is a little even cheesier. I mean, there's a way like, there's a way I think like my, my perfect sequel to The Exorcist to, like, literally the story doesn't even have demons in it. Sure. Well, I mean, you could do yeah, it you, where you if, easily if, could. The, 
Yeah, and I'm sure. But I, I actually, no, now that I've said that, I, I disagree entirely. I just, I feel you. like I've seen a <laughs> hundred versions of this sure. movie. Like, this is the one. prototype. So, you got one? The Spinal Tap that they've done, right? So mm-hmm. they've, they've, they've. I thought you were talking about the band so for a second. I was they've very got, confused. Uh, <laughs> they've got, yeah, for the uh, encephalogram. They've got, um, they've got some of her blood. Right. And it's got demon elements in it and they're experimenting it's like gain of function demons and it's developed in this lab in china not mentioning any names and it's let loose on the world and all these people are becoming possessed by demons all over the world and they have to come up with a vaccine (laughs) yeah project project k for karis yeah (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think we've cracked it multiple ways. <laughs> well, I did. I did have. I did have one which okay, may okay. already exist. I would like a board game of this, or like a card game, really. Um, yeah. Where where one of you plays like as co-op, the possessor, to... or one of you plays as the priest, and one of you is going to win oh, okay. depending on the different uh, card decks you have. Yeah. That's fun. I like the idea of like a co-op where like one of you is Reagan, and then two of you have to play as the priests, and you all have to work together to to de-demonize yeah. one of the characters could be really fun. We should have a board game night soon. I haven't played board <laughs> games in a while. But I, I, cause I, I remember the one where... that our, our friends Taylor brought, which was basically the Voight Kampf test from Blade Runner, just determining yeah. if you're a robot and asking each other questions. I'm like, there's an exorcist version of that somewhere. For that sure. again, I didn't look this up, probably exists. There's thousands yeah. of board games I'm not aware of. You're talking to each other and you're just like, hey, does my mother suck cocks in hell? <laughs> yeah. like, I knew it. You're, I knew it. You're possessed. You've got a demon in you. You're just, or you could even just have to like figure out which demon it is from this big book. Yeah. You had the, another one? The exorcist, instead of the exorcist dying, um, Reagan dies. Mm-hmm. And kind of what I expected. Her, her, mother, her mother's all upset and says she was just trying to turn her head around. <laughs> Oh. Well, that that sounds like we're wrapping up this podcast. Yeah. Well, so on that note, uh Dad, do you have anything that you wanna recommend do you wanna recommend any uh I know we all unanimously liked The Exorcist, but is there anything else that you'd like to recommend uh to people who might like have liked The Exorcist? Um I can't think. I, that's too surprising a question. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Um, I'm gonna, I, I loved it. I love the. I recommend seeing The Exorcist again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna recommend Poltergeist. I think it's a great accompaniment. It's um, a little sillier, but um, just also very charming, and the performances are all stellar. I'm gonna recommend uh, a couple movies that are about grappling with faith, uh, because cause watching The Exorcist, I I do wonder how it would hit me differently if if i had any faith if if i was connected at least to like believing in demons or was more scared of that because of other reasons um first is silence which is an extremely long movie that i ask the exact same question about right it's just like it's very good it's very competent i think we saw it together yeah, um, i did not enjoy it very much and i think it's because it was inaccessible due to my yeah. lack of growing up in the Catholic Church. But if if it was more accessible to you, wouldn't it be very, very, very good? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. no, the, I can tell that from the that's outside. That's a Bergman film, isn't it? Scorsese. Scorsese. Yeah, uh, and then the other one is is a movie that I did connect with very well, uh, First Reformed. Yeah, one of my absolute favorite films about a priest grappling with his faith. Um, and while there are no exorcisms in it, there kind of is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and since you got serious like that, I want to recommend uh, Winter Light. Which no, you only get stars... to recommend Poltergeist. It's too late. Winter Light. Oh. It stars Max von Sydow. It's directed by Ingmar Bergman. And it's about a, um, a, a preacher in a small town um, struggling with um, his faith while still having to lead a congregation. Okay. Uh, very similar to First Reform. Well, for that matter, sorry, I'll jump back in again. By all means. But more, more Bergman Sit, Van Sidow movies. Um, Seven Seal? Virg, Virgin Spring and Seven Seal. Virgin Spring. Both of them are just masterpieces, I think. I've never seen a Bergman film. Well, you got some places to start. Oh, we could do Seven yeah. Seal. I'm sure Trevor <laughs> loves right. Seven Seal or some shit. Well, thank you all for joining us. Thanks yeah. for being on the podcast. Thank Adam. you so much. It's really been a lot of fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed myself. It was, it was great. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Catch you on the next one. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>